Hey everybody, welcome to Movie Mavens, a podcast about movies hosted by me, Carson Green. And me, Annie Janes. On Movie Mavens, Annie and I watch two or more movies every week in what we like to call a spicy double feature. And this week, we had a spicy double feature suggested by friend of the pod, Zach, um, who is Zance on Twitter. Go give him a follow. Shout out, Zach. Um, and he suggested that we do Hail Caesar, the uh, Coen Brothers film, and um, Inherent Vice, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie from, like, what is it, 2014, I think? Yes. Yeah, so we're going to be talking about those. However, before we dive into that, Annie, is there anything that you have been watching over the past uh, week or two that we should know about? There is one thing in particular that I must get off my chest. Okay. Which is I started the, it used to be a TBS show, now it's on HBO Max, now it's an HBO Max show, they're like making new seasons. Mm-hmm. Search Party. Search Party. Yep. Have you seen it? Uh, I watched the first two seasons. I'm curious to hear how you've been liking it. So I tried to watch it, like, when the first season came out. I had, like, a screener of it. And I was like, TBS, like, come on. I don't, I don't, I don't do TBS original shows. Right. Um, and it was on a DVD that I'd have to change out because it was, like, a screener. And I... I just did not keep up with it at all. I maybe watched three episodes. Anyways, that was years ago. I started Search Party and I watched all four seasons in, I kid you not, two weeks. I watched season three in a day. Annie. In in a day. Moderation. I have not not binged a show in so long. I don't know the last show I binged. Maybe like season one of... Stranger Things, like, that's how long it's been. Whoa. And I forget what it's like to, like, have a show and be like, this is so good that you cannot stop. It feels so good. Oh, my God. That's incredible. How long are the seasons? They're not very long, right? Ten episodes. And the here's the best. The piece de resistance. <laughs> it hit me. <laughs> the episodes are 22 minutes long. Yes. <laughs> So they're so tight and everything moves so fast. Like what a normal like AMC drama would take four episodes to do. The show does it in one episode. It's so good. Mm-hmm. I cannot recommend it enough because of how good. It's just a good watch. It's funny. There's a mystery. The mystery isn't like the star of the show, but it's really good. And you can tell they care about it at the same time. Unlike two movies we're going to talk about when it comes to their (laughs) mysteries. Okay. (laughs) Fucking slam. (laughs) Season four of search party went to the wildest place imaginable. And I have no, there's two more seasons coming, I guess from HBO. And I cannot wait to, I have no fucking clue what they're going to be about. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it has our girl crush. Y- yes. And she like, she directed one of the episodes. Oh, oh okay. You know that show Shrill? Yes. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before. Yes. 
that show is just all right. But what I do like about it is I can tell that a woman made that show. Oh, yeah. And it's not just a woman making Search Party, but I can feel the hands of a woman on, like, the creative direction side. And I love that about it. Oh, wow. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that up because I cannot wait to talk about that in these two movies. Oh, these two sausage fists? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, that's Search Party on HBO Max. There's four seasons out now. Uh, I haven't been watching any TV, unfortunately. Um, Oh, but I actually... That's not true. I watched the first episode of... uh, Oh, God. Alan versus Pharaoh. Oh, I watched all of that. Oh, okay. What'd you think? Um, I mean, so I just watched the first episode, and to me, it was like... I guess, like, the show itself was okay. I mean, it was just, like, a series of interviews and then, you know, like, home video and shit like that. There was nothing about, like, the production of it that was enthralling to me. But... It was just very obvious that, like, these people are still traumatized and they're, like, still living out this nightmare. And so for that reason, like, they just, like, very clearly felt like they needed to be in therapy and not, like, sitting in front of a camera, like, telling their story, you know? And so for that reason, it felt, like, almost exploitative. And so I didn't continue. But I am curious. Uh, Later on... I already forget her name. Who's the daughter? Like the main mm-hmm. victim? Yeah. Her. She, I think she like was sort of adamant about making the doc because, because like you said, it's been so long and almost nothing has happened. But the wildest thing about the documentary is that it has excerpts from Woody Allen's like autobiography or biography whichever one where you write it about yourself that he auto yeah so it has sections of the audiobook of that that he is reading and those are the most incriminating parts not the most but those are incredibly criminating i don't know if i felt it was exploitative but i certainly didn't know the whole story and i bet a lot of people didn't so i mean i just know like the glossary overview of it i only knew about his wife slash stepdaughter. Oh, right. I don't know why it didn't end there. That's the, all the evidence you need. Them two. I don't understand. Yeah, right. Like, what? I guess, what's the purpose of this documentary series? I don't know, because I don't know what the public knew before. Did we know all of this? I think so. I mean, it all happened in public. It all happened. So it's not telling a story that, like, the public doesn't already know, per perchance. And it's not helping the victims or the family heal or move on in any way, at least what I, like, gathered from the first episode. And, like, I guess in that way, yeah, I was like, oh, this is exploitative. And then now that I'm thinking about it, you know, maybe it's just a cash grab for HBO and for... <laughs> I saw it as, like, a... Because I just didn't know so much that I I, th- I saw it as, like, a let's bring this to light, even though it already happened. Oh, like an expose. Or, or rather, let's bring this up again because now that the the people on Twitter exist, like we, it's like we will not let this go down. Interesting. And that's how I, that's how I saw it. Should I watch the rest of it? No. 
Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's only four episodes, thankfully. If it was ten, that would be absurd. Yeah, that's a lot. That's kind of excessive. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, okay. So I guess I watched the first episode of that. Um, but then I, I watched Knives Out last week. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Knives Out? Oh, I've seen Knives Out. Love Knives okay. Out. Okay, I love. First of all, star-studded cast. Mm-hmm. Don't even get me started on Daniel Craig's accent. That's not why I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I am here to bring up one shot. I just want to okay. talk about one shot. The throw up, be- the beans throw up. No, <laughs> there is a shot where uh, what is her name? The house, the uh, the nurse. Mart, is it Marta? Yeah, I think it is Marta. Um, so she is. They have just been told that she it get spoiler alert. Mm. She is the receiver of the inheritance of the will. She's the sole proprietor of the entire will, and the family is chasing her out of the house. And there is a shot where. Um, the camera is coming from like the driveway and it's like oh. coming up on the porch, but it like it goes from like a, a like a can't what do you call like a, a regular like it's camera. on sticks, like on a yes. tripod, and then it yes. starts moving, yeah. And then, but then it, it, yeah, it like goes to handheld and then it yes. follows her, and it's just yeah. like it is so seamless. I have to say something about that shot because I was and, like, wow, that's a choice because it's the only one that moves. It's the only handheld shot. Guess why? That is, it's not some auteuristic decision on Ryan Johnson's behalf, but their steady cam broke and they just went with it. Isn't that crazy? Well, that ruins the whole magic of it for me. Thanks a lot, Annie. <laughs> well, I'm just <laughs> spitting the truth. <laughs> no, but it's fun. It's I think it's a lot of fun. And like... Knowing that it was coming up, like, I mm. I saw her, like, appro- she turned to, like, approach the door, and she was, like, coming out on the porch, and I, like, knew that it was coming up, and I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> the anticipation. Was, yeah. <laughs> I mean, also, did you hear that, I think, Netflix bought two more sequels of Knives Out? Yeah. For $400 million, I think, and Ryan Johnson will direct, and Daniel Craig will star in both of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. And you know what I have to say? Hmm. No. Really? Yeah. I mean, you, you don't know like how I sequel. feel about sequels. Yeah. I think it'll be fun because there'll be like little Agatha Christie mist- yeah. one-off mysteries featuring Daniel Craig, which I, yeah. when they're contained like that, which I think they will be, then it'll be cool. I don't need to know any more of Marta's story. I think that's, you know, sealed. Yeah, right. We got the shot. We got the shot. <laughs> we got the beans. Dang, I wonder if Lakeith Stanfield is going to sign on. Maybe he, like... He's got to, because he's so big right now. Yeah, and he's so good. Mm-hmm. Did you see the um, trailer for Zola, the new A24 movie? No, I'm, I'm, I have no clue what any of that is. I just saw a poster. Okay. Well, Annie, let me bring you up to speed. Zola is based on a Twitter thread that was a Twitter thread before Twitter threads were even threads. Okay. This 
was in like 2000, I'm going to say this is like a 2015 story. So this was back when tweets were still 140 characters, not 280 like we are privy to these days. Mm-hmm. And it was a Twitter, it was like 100 and I don't know, 15 tweets or something. I think actually it's probably closer to like 180 tweets Whoa. of this woman telling her story of like her and this other woman went to Florida to dance, to do exotic dancing, to make some money. And then like shit went crazy and they found themselves in some very precarious situations. And Zola tweeted the whole thing. And then she sold it to A24 and now it's a fucking movie. And uh, yeah, I'm really excited. Is this the first movie we have that's based on a Twitter thread? Or anything tweet related? Whoa. Maybe. We're going to be like, this is the based on the acclaimed TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> that's our future. Oh, God. Well, I, for one, am very excited for that. All right, well, let's talk about... What do you want to talk about first? Hail Caesar or Inherent Vice? Do you want to do Hail Caesar because we watched those first? Yeah, let's do it. Annie, or actually, you know what? Here is a clip from the trailer. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. How long since your last confession, my son? 27 hours. It's really too often. You're not that bad. Here at Capital Pictures, as you know, millions of people look to us for information and uplift and, yes, entertainment. And we're going to give it to them. And action. An army of technicians and actors and top-notch artistic people are working hard to bring to the screen our biggest release of the year. Hail Caesar is a prestige picture with one of the biggest stars in the world, Baird Whitlock. A truth we could see if we had, but... If we had... Faith, 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 cut. Ah. Uh, Mr. Mannix. What's up? The director can't find Baird Whitlock. Somebody slipped it under my door. We have your movie star. Gather $100,000 and await instructions. Who are we? The future. Annie, will you hit me with some facts? Yes, Hail Caesar came out in 2016. It was written and directed by the Coen brothers. It has an 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's starring George Clooney, Josh Brolin, Ray Fiennes, Scarlett Johansson, and Tilda Swinton. Here's the description from IMDb. A Hollywood fixer in the 1950s works to keep the studio stars in line. And this movie is streaming on Netflix. So before we jump into the movie, we haven't stated why... This is a spicy double feature, which we asked uh, Zach from Twitter what makes this a spicy double feature. Because I hadn't seen Inherent Vice, so I really didn't know. And what did he say? Do you remember? Um, Something about Josh Brolin. Josh Brolin's prowess. He said something along the lines of Josh Brolin being the straightest straight man alive, I think. Whoa, hang on a second. I'm going to pull it up. Josh Brolin being the straightest straight man. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what he said. So we will have to talk about um, that at some point. But I want to know, have you seen this before? And what were your just overall impressions of it? So it's interesting that you first brought up what the double feature is. Mm-hmm. As I was watching Inherent Vice, 
a lot of things are similar. Oh, yeah. Like, there is so, like, these movies run congruently on different planes. (laughs) (laughs) Different dimensions. (laughs) Yeah. But they definitely run congruently. Maybe at the end, we will look back at, because I have a list of similarities here. Okay. Let's Um, do that. But, okay, so Hail Caesar, I I saw it in theaters, um, and that was the only time I watched it, uh, be, and mostly because I remember really liking it, but I didn't have anyone to talk about it with. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, like it, like, it never took off on the internet. Like, it, it just was never one of those, like, what did you say the Rotten Tomato score is? 85. Yeah, see... I think it kind of bombed in theaters. Not bombed, but I don't think it, like, did super well. Well, I mean, it's not like a commercial movie. It's not... This is not for the masses. No. <laughs> it's not, not a, It's not a typical... I mean, it's... You know, like, it's not true grit. It's not a... Like, a Coen Brothers, like... It's not a marketable Coen Brothers flick. Um, you know, but that's 80... That's... Maybe not 80, but that's 50% of their movies. Yeah. Which... Did you know, I okay, I took a whole Coen Brothers class in college. Oh. And I really wish I could have remembered anything said about this movie, which of course I don't. But I do remember that supposedly the way that the Coen Brothers pick what movie they're going to make is they just have like a file cabinet full of scripts that they've written and they just open it up and just pull one out. And they're like, okay, it's this one. This is the one we make next. Imagine that life, Annie. <laughs> Imagine that day, you know? Like, they they write that day down on the calendar. Just to have, like, a cabinet full of scripts that you've written. Already and then written. to have the privilege and the the money, I guess, to be like, we're making this movie no matter what. Like, it doesn't have to be marketable <laughs> to the masses. Yeah, right. They can make fucking weirdo movies, weirdo mm-hmm. communist movies called Hail Caesar mm-hmm. with religious overt and subvert undertones and overtones and and, and homoeroticism. So I don't really know how to talk about this movie, honestly, except in pieces, because everything is in like, you know, the story as a whole is like kind of it's not well interwoven like it's Mm -mm. not a well-crafted story but the vignettes i think are really fun like jonah hill's vignette like his whole thing of like being a secret notary and then like (laughs) running away with scarlett johansson and adopting a baby and getting married in palm springs (laughs) at three in the morning (laughs) but the thing is that we literally only see jonah hill for one scene but everything else we're just like told which is yeah right and then we get uh tilda swinton um being a twin but also maybe a spy and throughout the mystery in air quotes of this movie there are full scenes of just musical numbers yeah that are like living inside the movie so in the movie there's Mm -hmm. a musical number of like sailors going to war in the 50s and channing tatum is tap dancing and we that plays out for a solid, you know, five full minutes at least. Mm-hmm. We get ScarJo as a mermaid. Mm-hmm. We get Hobie Doyle 
uh, whatever that actor's name is. Which, by the way, did you know that this is his first feature? Did you know that? Oh, really? I did not know that. Yeah, he's pretty good. I don't remember seeing him in anything else, but he was really good in this, I A.K.A. Thought. Young Han Solo. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, uh, he had a musical number about the moon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you think that was really him doing the lassoing? Because I, I don't see how they could have faked that. Yes, it was him. Do you not remember the scene of him, like, doing the... He was doing the rope on the road when he was yes. waiting for his date? The Chiquita Banana Woman. That's what I'm... Yeah, that's what I'm talking <laughs> about. Like, they could not have faked that. I think he really learned how to do that. Yeah. I think he did, too. I'm gonna believe that. Um, you know what? Let's talk about Josh Brolin's performance for a moment. Yes. Thinking of Josh Brolin as the straightest straight man ever, I think he's probably one of the straighter things about this movie because, like, Channing Tatum, uh, like, there's some homoeroticism with his scenes. Mm-hmm. And then George Clooney, it's revealed that he was sleeping with Lawrence Lawrence of mm-hmm. the director, who's Ray Fiennes. Yeah, and he, Josh Brolin is, like, a devout Catholic. He's, like, confessing every 24 hours. I had to do some reading about this movie because it ends and you're like, what? Did I just watch? Is that how you felt? Uh, no. <laughs> You're like, I no. know exactly. No, no, it wasn't that. It was more just like, I think I just accepted that. <laughs> yeah. It, like, I accepted it as a body of work. Like, okay, I'm not going to get it. Mm. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I did some reading, but I'll go into that later. But I want to hear what you have to say about Josh Brolin as a character. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, it's interesting that they call him a fixer. Um, yeah, I have the same the... note. Well, okay. I mean, you know this. On any set, on any film set, in any studio, anywhere, like, everyone has a purpose. And I feel like the way that this is written, it's, like, very clear, like, that he is a studio exec. And he is working, like, as the mouthpiece for Skank, mm-hmm. who is the commie. <laughs> The is he a commie? commie? <laughs> yeah. That's what, no, I mean, that's what that's what George Clooney said at the end, and that's why Josh Brolin was smacking him around. He was like, Don't you ever say anything about skank. <laughs> I thought he was I thought he said he was like a a hyper capitalist or something, but maybe you're right. Oh no, wait, that is correct. Yeah. He's what's wrong with capitalism, and that's why you should turn to the dark side. But anyway, so Back to the fixer thing. And it's so, called Capital Pictures. I just have to put that out there. Capital <laughs> Pictures. Haha. <laughs> the way that the film paints a picture of like the hierarchy of characters is very similar to me in the way that I see the hierarchy of who is on set at any given moment. And there are even like you know, like, we are then, ta- we're in a studio, like, primarily the the whole film is taking place in the studio, on the studio lot. And so then we are going to different studios, and then we are visiting different film sets. And particularly on the Hail Caesar set, there's a couple of comments and questions just made by offhanded characters that reinforce the hierarchy. So, like, there was a question that was like, do you get a box lunch or a bag lunch? Are you an extra? Are you a principal? (laughs) And the guy is just like, I think I'm a principal. So that's a joke because that's Jesus. 
and (laughs) right um (laughs) yeah that's funny on the face value that he's just like what kind of lunch do you get there's this like grand metaphor that the movie is doing which Mm -hmm. is like josh brolin is the christ figure he is jesus of the studio and skank is supposed to be god because josh is like a mouth josh brolin what's his name manix yeah, yeah. Mannix. is a mouthpiece for Skank. We never see Skank. And when George Clooney takes Skank's name in vain, when he calls him like a capitalist, Josh Brolin like smacks the shit out of him. Yeah. And then Hollywood, classic Hollywood is supposed to be like Christianity. And people are losing their faith in Hollywood because they keep talking about like the rise of television. So it's this whole it's this whole me- metaphor, and I don't know. I see the metaphor; it's pretty clear, but I just don't know what that does for me. You know, I watch it. I'm like, yeah, I see, but that's kind of that's kind of it. So I think the reason it tanked at the box office, and the reason more people don't talk about it online, is because it like genuinely is not like it just is unsuccessful. It tries very hard to undertake. A lot of topics Mm -hmm. and a lot of different metaphors and a huge spectrum of characters. And it just is wildly unsuccessful, in my opinion, in in terms of, like, delineating the story. Yes. So I have this note here. And I'll say it now, even though this relates to Inherent Vice. With Hail Caesar and Inherent Vice, the main thing that drives their plots forward is of no concern to the films which i just do not care for so like this mystery like george clooney is missing and there's like commies and there's a scandal that might be released to the public all these things are just of no concern it feels like to the coen brothers it just feels like they wanted to show off a series of vignettes which, and you know what, that's, I appreciate that. Like, mm-hmm. I appreciate the film as a series of vignettes. And I understand that as a body of work, it is unsuccessful. Yeah, I still enjoyed it. I just think, you know me, you know, when I s- sense a mystery, I'm like, oh, this is like what we're doing here. And it's not uh-huh. what we were doing there. No, see the whole, I mean, like, I think... Really, like, the main, the huge plot, or, like, the, I guess, yes, George Clooney goes missing off of the set of Hail Caesar. And he ends up in, what is his name, Burke, or Bert, Channing Tatum in his blonde hair. He ends up Mm -hmm. at his house. Yeah. And, like, that, and then, like, Hobie Doyle rescues him. And, like, that is the plot. And also there is Tilda Swinton twice. But this story is about, yeah, it's about Josh Brolin and his work and his life as a fixer. And is he going to take this job at Lockheed Martin? I mean, we keep going back to that. Like, Jesus Christ, how many times were we in that fucking Chinese restaurant with the, <laughs> with the aquarium window and the guy saying, do you want a cigarette? Yeah. <laughs> That was a lot. Okay, but the movie was also only an hour and a half. Or an hour and 45 minutes. Yeah, shout out. Speaking of Josh Brolin being a fixer, the reason I wrote that uh, note down is because usually Coen Brothers movies are like about 
a character who is way who is in a situation that they are the most unqualified for. So like in Fargo, oh right. A Minnesotan dummy, dummy is somehow entwined in like a huge scandal of money that turns to murder. So like he's totally unequipped. But in this movie, Josh Brolin is very capable. And in my opinion, the conflicts that he had to handle were minor. Like I I think this movie could have pushed been pushed further. Oh, totally. Like I think like when George Clooney shows up at the commie house, <laughs> like in a Coen Brothers way, what if, you know, he accidentally kills someone because he thought he was kidnapped, but it wasn't a kidnapping. Like all these things. Like it just felt like him fixing things happened so easily easily. Or like with Scarlett Johansson, he she sets him up with this Jonah Hill's character, and then they just end up falling in love off screen. Like these things just sort of fell into place for him. Which was fine. It just isn't exciting to watch i think it's because he had faith on his side annie they were painting he did, a he did have faith on his side you're right genuinely the whole film is like of no consequence <laughs> you know that's very true and i do i did like the way the characters like collide in a way at the end but mm-hmm. even so i thought burn after reading did a better job of that oh shit Another movie of absolutely no consequence, but I am, I'm like with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Bird After Reading is like a funner watch too. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. I, I, I will say I love how silly this movie is. And I love, I love anything silly just as a rule, but I love that the Coen brothers are not afraid to be silly. That is like the number one word that kept coming up for both of these movies was silly. Mm. For me, but yeah, this is silly. You know what? I based on uh, Josh Brolin's performance, Channing Tatum's hair, <laughs> um, the shot of uh, George Clooney in his full Hail Caesar getup, um, drinking a martini, a Hobie Doyle doing his little lasso in the street, um, Jonah Hill for exactly two minutes, and double Tilda Swinton. Based on these things, I am going to give Hail Caesar a very solid 5 out of 10. Oh my god. (laughs) That whole list, I thought we were going to go through the roof. (laughs) I wanted to ask, because I, sorry to ask now, do you you have anything, did you have like a favorite joke of the whole movie? Um, no. Honestly, I think, I, I think what it is, like there's just... No women. <laughs> so you couldn't laugh. I was not inclined to, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, well, my favorite jokes were when Josh Brolin is watching the movie, his movie, like at the beginning, and then it cuts to a title card and it says something like Christ figure to be shot, and I just like laugh really hard at that. Oh, no, wait, I do have a favorite tro- joke. Oh? It was um, the scene of Lawrence Lawrence telling Hobie Doyle, um, coaching him. Would that it were? As what it were. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were so simple. Would that it were. Would that it were. That one was really good. That was my favorite scene the first time I saw it. 
Oh yeah, and then there's a then there's a callback to that scene later. Um, so yeah, so then Ray Fiennes goes yes. to Josh Brolin's office and is like, "Hobie Doyle can't fucking act, and I want him out of my movie." And then Josh Brolin goes to watch the dailies later, and this then Francis McDermott <laughs> like almost chokes to death. <laughs> <laughs> that was the best. That was probably one, one of my favorite scenes. And then when he says the line, he says, it's, it's complicated. Compl- yes. <laughs> the other running joke that I liked, I just love a running gag, but anytime they would bring up the scandal, I don't forget. It was called something like, you know, wings of an eagle or something like that. Oh yeah. Every time they brought it up, you would hear like an eagle caw in the background. <laughs> and that made me laugh. Just like a caw. <laughs> Um, so for those two jokes and everything else we talked about, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. Wow, okay. So the movie maven score for Hail Caesar is a 6 out of 10. Uh, so let's move on to Inherent Vice. Um, here is a clip from the trailer. If it's a quiet night out at the beach and your ex-old lady suddenly out of nowhere shows up with a story about her current billionaire land developer boyfriend and his wife and her boyfriend and a plot to kidnap the billionaire and throw him in a loony bin. I need your help, Doc. Maybe you should just look the other way. But if you're Doc, it may all start to get a little peculiar after that. Michael Z. Wolfman. And Mickey Wolfman. Mickey Wolfman. Has vanished. So where would I uh, find him? He's technically Jewish, but wants to be a Nazi. And a girl don't necessarily want to get into difficulties with those folks. You have a spare picture I could borrow? Ah! Annie, would you hit me with some facts? Inherent Vice came out in 2014 and is streaming on HBO Max. It has a 73% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. It's starring Joaquin Phoenix, Catherine Watterson, Owen Wilson, and Josh Brolin. Here's a description from IMDb. In 1970, drug-fueled Los Angeles private investigator Larry Dox Bertello investigates the disappearance of a former girlfriend. Okay. My, I had never seen this before and I didn't know until like an hour in that it was two and a half hours, you know, when you pause the movie because you're like, there's no way we're wrapping, wrapping this up soon. Like how much left we got anyway, never seen this movie before, but once I started it, I thought, how have I never seen this movie before? I had the same thought. Yes. Like this feels like a perfect movie for me to watch. And honestly, after watching this. The real per- perfect double feature would have been this and Big Lebowski because I think they're extremely similar in that there's a mystery and a stoner and ni- neither are professionals. I have a better double feature. Yeah, I have a better double feature than the Big Lebowski, but I really like the I really like that your mind went to the Big Lebowski, but there's a movie, have you ever heard of the Andrew Garfield movie Under the Silver Lake? I've Definitely heard of it. Yeah, I've never seen it, though. Okay, it is like... So, I would say that... I would suggest that as the double feature above Big Lebowski only because... And this is... This is huge. So, like, in the Big Lebowski, we trust the dude. Like, you know, as the audience. Like, Mm -hmm. watching the Big Lebowski, I'm like, oh, yeah, what the dude is saying and what he's experiencing is the truth. In terms of, like, just all reality. Mm-hmm. In Inherent Vice, 
We don't know what the fuck the truth is. We don't know <laughs> what reality Doc Spatello lives in. True. Is he a reliable narrator? Question mark, question mark, question mark. That was an annoying question that I had the whole fucking time I was watching this movie. Um, But in Under the Silver Lake, we have this, I mean, I had the same thoughts. And it's also about Andrew Garfield looking for a missing woman uh, or, you know, a missing fling. Um, it takes place in Hollywood. Doesn't make mm. a lot of sense. There's weird <laughs> fucking trippy scenes. Lots of drugs are happening. Um, do I recommend Under the Silver Lake? Yes, if you're into that kind of thing. Okay. Well, when I started this movie, Inherent Vice, I thought I was into that kind of thing. And then an hour and a half goes by and I'm like, this isn't what, this isn't going where I want it to go, is it? And it didn't. It did not go where I wanted it to go, where I wanted it to go. And what I mean by that is this movie (laughs) really makes you feel like you're trying to solve a mystery while stoned out of your mind. Like, I was trying to solve this mystery with Joaquin Phoenix, and I thought I was high because of how complicated and little it made sense. Literally, every 10 minutes, there is a name dropped. And Hang on a second. Yes. Okay, I'm glad that you mentioned that. Mm-hmm. Here I am. I'm going to riddle off a list of names. Oh my God, I wrote a list of names too. <clears throat> Bear with me. <laughs> We've got Wolfman, Bigfoot, Shasta Fay, Puck Beaverton, Jandra, Coy Harrington, Adrian Prussia, Sportello, Dr. Lilyhammer. Uh, we have Crocker and Japonica. Uh, excuse <laughs> Japonica. me, Fenway. Japonica Fenway. And her father's name was Crocker Fenway. Yep. Um, And that's just the list that I wrote down. That is not all of the names that you take in while watching this movie. Yep. And then not only are there names, but there's places. There's places such as Criscidolodon. 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 Uh-huh. I... First of all, I'm really bad at names. I can watch an entire season of a show and be like, who's that main character guy name? You know, that's me. I'm one mm-hmm. of those. So for this movie to throw a name at you, like the, like the names like that, like Crocker Fenway, and to be expected to keep up. I mean, it didn't expect you to keep up, but you know what? I'm trying to keep up because I think it's a mystery because it presents itself as that mm-hmm. until it doesn't. And then you're just... <sighs> Then you're just, I guess, along for the ride, but that's just not for me. Yeah, you definitely have to surrender to this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I surrendered to it as just kind of like I'm along for the ride when I guess it was probably like 35, 45 minutes in when I realized that like we cannot trust Doc Sportello. What made is- you not trust him? Well, just because, like, uh, what fucking world does this guy live in? Like, it, it just do- it doesn't do a very good job of, like, painting his reality as, like, a real place. I, for some reason, was trusting him. But then the, um, the actual narrator, the person that is narrating the story, is some woman that, like, we, at least... I didn't understand or comprehend or, like, catch her backstory or, like, how the fuck she related to the story. (laughs) Was that just his friend? Like, that third woman? Yeah, like, who is she? But then we never see her, like, 
the places that we see her are very dreamlike. Yeah, I read a theory that she doesn't even exist, and I was like, wait, what? Right, so then who are we, who is the narrator? Whose story is being told, and who are we trusting in this movie? Well, I will say, hot take here, but I thought that Jeff Bridges was a better stoner than Joaquin Phoenix. I don't think that's a hot take. I think he definitely is a better stoner. However, Joaquin Phoenix did do a great, like, dope fiend. They were doing heroin. When? Like, that was his and Shasta Faye's thing. Remember whenever they, like, the Ouija board day, which is where we see the Oh, narrator. that day. Yeah. No, that day. You're right. Yeah. So, and they kept calling him a doper, which it is heroin, and it's definitely not grass. If we're gonna if we're gonna look at technicalities, I, I think I just in general I think I like Jeff Bridges' performance more, just mm. across the board. Yeah, well, which is odd because I love Joaquin, but I couldn't help but compare these two movies because even in okay in the Big Lebowski, there's a mystery, and just like I said, Jeff Bridges is the most unequipped person to solve the mystery Mm -hmm. but he does and it's it's weird and it's winding but it's satisfying and in inherent vice even like even if the mystery doesn't work i kind of hated that shasta literally just showed up yeah that just felt like the whole goal of the movie was just like the rug was ripped out from under us and i was like oh uh okay yeah but I mean, even then, like, I just, I kept losing sight of the movie because we were thrown into these, I mean, okay, I wrote down a, a just a quick list of thing, a quick list of topics that were covered in his this tasks, two and a half hours. His quests. Yeah, right. We've got Nazis, we've got cults, drugs, sex, FBI, there's a syndicate of dentists, there's a boat, <laughs> there's heroin, there's Josh Brolin. There's a PI, there's actual doctors, there's Owen Wilson, there's Reese Witherspoon, who plays an assistant uh, district attorney. There's so many things to keep up with. And there's also um, a party uh, that uh, Joaquin Phoenix meets up with Owen Wilson at, and the words spotted dick were uttered. No less than 10 times. That's the name of the band whose house that was. And none of that matters. It's so distracting. <laughs> it is distracting because I am trying to remember who Owen Wilson Wilson's character is that whole time. And everyone just keeps like whispering in your ear, spotted dick while you're trying to like follow the story. That's mm-hmm. how it felt. Once I accepted that, like, this is not real. And, mm-hmm. like, this is, like, a, this is just a tale being spun and, like, nobody is reliable and, like, this story makes no sense. I kind of was able to surrender to the movie and just, like, have a good time. I think here's why I didn't do that. Because in Hail Caesar, when I surrendered, I get to watch Channing Tatum tap dance and that's f- silly. And fun. And if yeah. I surrender an inherent vice, I get to watch, uh, I don't know, I get to watch scenes where characters whisper at each other and I don't know what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. 
I gotta tell you though, I really did like a nonsensical part that I did like was um how Joaquin Phoenix took notes. Oh yeah. See, even that I wanted the notebook to come into play later. My rewrite is he's trying to figure out where Shasta is and he's looking at his board of like characters connected to each other and he looks at his notes and one nonsensical note just like clicks and now he knows where Shasta is. Yeah. Also, we have to talk about Josh Brolin being the straightest straight man alive. We haven't even talked about him yet. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bigfoot is his name. So. Was he really a cop? Was he even a real character? Yes. Yes. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. What makes you doubt it? We'll just. Okay. Do we ever see? We never see like his badge or like him at the precinct or like him in an actual cop car. Like he's a detective. But like, I I am of the impression that he is just a figment of Joaquin Phoenix, a.k.a. Doc uh, Sportello. Um, I am convinced that he is a figment of Doc Sportello's imagination. He's with the police at the very beginning when we first meet him. There's like a line of cop cars. When he first, when Joaquin Phoenix first gets accused of murdering some guy, I already forgot his name. When oh, he's that's right, Glenn. Glenn. That's, he's with cops then, and then when Joaquin Phoenix is, like, sneaking out of some building he's not supposed to be in, he gets tackled by Bigfoot, who's standing next to a cop. Yeah, right. And then there's, like, but then there's, like, this scene. So, Adrian Prussia is Bigfoot's former partner. Mm-hmm. Like, cop partner mm-hmm. um and then there's this scene where we get the female narrator talking about how like just i don't know bad of a partner bigfoot is and then we get like a shot of him beating sportello up and it just kind of, I don't know, it just, like, it read to me very, like, whimsical. I know what you're talking about, for sure. It was weird. It was weird that it cut back to that. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, we, did we ever see Adrian, Adrian Prussia ever? Yeah, so we got, like, what, yeah, remember, um, we saw him, like, in the office for, like, two minutes, and then the fucking Aryan Brotherhood came in and fed Joaquin Phoenix P- PCP. And then, like, five minutes later, Joaquin Phoenix is shooting Adrian Prussia. And, like, that was it. And then he shot him dead. And then Josh Brolin showed up and he was like, yeah, we need, we're going to take these, like, 30 kilos of dope. I'm getting lost again. It was all again. just insane. Yeah, exactly. I'm getting lost. <gasps> Okay, well, let's talk about how Josh Brolin was straight or not. Because oh, he was sucking on those fucking bananas, man. Yeah, he was. And then when we talk about his partner, what do we look at? We look at him sucking bananas. This film to me was so disgustingly male gazy. Like I there were moments where like I had to look away. Like, okay. 
uh, he has, Doc has Reese Witherspoon over. And it's very obviously, like, post-coital conversation. And they're on the couch. But the camera is, like, on, it's only on Joaquin Phoenix. And she's talking, but she, they, she is completely out of focus. So, wait, do you mean male gaze? Male gaze usually means, like, yeah, like, men or dogs were looking at women, like, in a, we're sexualizing them in every turn. So, when I think of the male gaze, I just think of it as, like, how a man looks at the world. So, like, Reese Witherspoon was on the couch, but, like, was she really? In his mind, I mean, he was, he got what he okay. wanted out of her. I am 99% confident that male gaze means men sexualizing women when they look at them. Right? Okay, right, but how is that not, like, just completely erasing her as existence is a form of sexualizing her? Because he had sex with her, and then after oh, I that- see. She okay. is blurry. I don't know. That seems like a stretch to me, but uh, but I, I I definitely see what you're saying. But I mean, there's also like the shot of Shasta Faye walking, and all we see is her hips. Like it, literally, yes, the camera is that's just like male gaze for sure. Right, but I'm. It's all. It's like every shot was like that for me. I don't think I didn't see that coming on super strongly, but maybe it's just because I saw Maya Rudolph and I was like, she would never let him. Do such a thing. Oh, she did. She did. Hang on a second. Wait, now I, I really want to talk about it. Okay, so so you're saying that male, your interpretation of like male gaze in, in film is that it has to be overtly sexual. No, it's like a good example you gave is like shot of her hips. It's like, why are we looking at that? Or like mm-hmm. in, in movies when like women walk past the camera, it's like we're always on their ass. It's like, why are we on their ass? Mm-hmm. that's what i'm talking about right yeah and i would see and i would argue that that scene of reese witherspoon post-sex literally and then so this i would i would argue that that entire scene is taken from the male gaze because the conversation we don't get we don't look at her on the other side of the phone whenever they're talking before she came over like we just get her voice, and the and the camp like it stays with Joaquin Phoenix, and then the next shot of her is she's blurry in the background, and it's like very obviously like they had sex, and he mm-hmm. got what he wanted, and so now like it's she. See, doesn't that's matter. interesting because you're involving like the context of the story, and I'm just saying like when when men shoot a camera at a woman, they they like aim it at the, the ass. Yeah, but I mean, is isn't see? I think male gaze happens in the subvert too. I'm sure it does. I'm it guessing does. that Reese Witherspoon was on the phone because she they could only afford her for three days. You know, <laughs> God, she's so good. She is so good. When she showed up in this movie, I was like, "Excuse me." Oh my god, whenever he came to her office and then she just looked at her office mate and she goes, this is the one I was telling you about. I was <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> We're gonna have to do a little uh, data graph. Data graph, if you will. Um, I don't know, 100 episodes in because I feel like we have so many of the same actors showing up. Like, we have yeah. so much Ray Fines, we have so much Reese Witherspoon. Yeah. 
We have so much Saoirse Ronan. Yes. We're going to have to do now, a little graph. Josh Brolin. <laughs> Josh Brolin. I was thinking about the Goonies watching this movie. Oh, shit. I guess I don't really have anything else to talk to say about Inherent Vice, but I do want to talk about these two movies comparatively. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, when watching them, yes, it is a very obviously a spicy double feature because both are done by huge directors. Like, Paul Thomas Anderson is a Like, huge cream bo- of the crop. Yes. Cream of the crop. Yes, right. The Coen brothers. Yeah, these are huge directors, both of them. Okay, they are both, they're both weird, intricate, and intertwined stories. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they're laced together. All of, both of these have, like, interlacing, interweaving stories that are sensical. And I think one film does a better job at interlacing and telling the whole story uh, than mm. another. Um, we've got Hollywood as the backdrop. So both of these movies are set in Hollywood. We've got Josh Brolin. Um, mm-hmm. In only one of these is he sucking on a banana, though. <laughs> um, They're both period pieces. And both have the titles said aloud, which you like that in a movie, don't you? I don't know if I like it, but when it happens, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, in Inherent Vice, I, like, screamed because I just did not <laughs> expect it. What a spicy double feature that was. Thanks, yeah. Zach. Yeah, thanks, Wax Zance. Let's score Inherent Vice. Okay. Um, You go ahead. This movie is a mystery until it isn't, and I just wish that it was. I'm going to give Inherent Vice a 6 out of 10. Okay. Um, I actually realize I have one last thing to say just about okay. both of them. Um, so in the way that Hail Caesar uses religion as kind of like a prop um, to tell the story, I feel like uh, Inherent Vice uses drugs as a prop to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Which I found like in... In an interesting way to, I mean, they're both just like interesting storytelling devices. Yeah, I guess drugs and religion. <laughs> How original! Right. It requires a second viewing. Yes. Um, which I don't know that I have the energy to do n- now or at any point in the future. <laughs> <gasps> Um, but I had a good time, and I feel like it was, um, it was a little more fun than Hail Caesar, and so for that reason, I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Okay, so the movie Maven score for Inherent Vice is a 6 out of 10. Both of them are. you have suggestions for next week's spicy double feature feel free to tweet us at movie mavens pod hit us up on instagram at movie mavens um write us an email we want to hear your hot takes on um inherent vice and hail caesar email us at movie mavens podcast at gmail.com that's it movie mavens out